insight, keys, and perspective to everyday living through the lens of God. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm so glad you're here. Whether it's your first time or 50th time, welcome back. Vantage Point is a weekly podcast focusing on bringing perspective through the lens of God. And for the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Tomorrow, Living in a World of Uncertainty. And in part one, we looked at the sovereignty of God in uncertain times. And last week, we shifted our focus to some red flags that we experience about tomorrow. And the first red flag we looked at was worry. And we learned how worry affects us mentally, physically, and spiritually. And this week, I want to focus on another red flag that actually can be built on the first flag of worry. And this red flag takes us from a place of playing out different outcomes and possibilities about tomorrow to actually lacking confidence about tomorrow and not believing in it at all. And this week, I want to look at the red flag of doubt. And just like last week, I want to start with some facts. And so first things first, doubt is defined as being uncertain about something to believe that something may not be true or is unlikely. Doubt is also having no confidence in something or someone. And and so when we look at this meaning of doubt, it takes us to a place where our minds shift from creating scenarios and outcomes to a place of resolution that the only outcome is God is not going to do what we believe he can and i'll say it again doubt takes us to a different place of resolution where we stop creating scenarios and we rest in our uncertainty and lose confidence doubt takes us to a place that questions our belief in truth despite us seeing and experiencing truth in our present we come to a place where we doubt the truth for our tomorrow we allow past experiences, present circumstances, and uncertainty about what's to come to fuel and establish doubt in what we know. Doubt kills our hope, it weakens our strength, and it creates a shadow in our hearts and minds that nothing is possible. Let me make sure I say this about doubt. It's not inherently a bad thing. Doubt can help us discard things that ultimately lead us to truth, especially when it comes to our faith, right? And we can see the world in its fractured state and doubt the things of culture and be firm in the truth of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's by doubting that all of us have come to discard certain belief while embracing others. And in a way, Our faith wouldn't exist without us having to doubt something first, right? The world or mindset we had, we had to come to a place of doubt that that was not the right thing to do, right? And ultimately, what happens is if if we doubt in, in the wrong sense, it can become a detriment when it puts us in a position that we doubt and lose confidence in God. And just like worry, doubt is an experience common to everyone. And as most Christians won't admit, like we said that last week, doubt is something that appears in our lives as well. And we can find ourselves identifying with the man in Mark 9.24 where he ends that verse. He says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And just like worry, some of us get fully absorbed by doubt. Others use it as a springboard to life and others see it as an obstacle to be overcome. And the Bible has something to say about the cause of doubt and provides examples of people who dealt with it, right? And one interesting thought before we even get into the word of God is how our culture perceives doubt. Humanism says that doubt, while uncomfortable, is essential for life. Rene Descartes says if 
you would be a real seeker after truth, it is necessary that at least once in your life you doubt, as far as possible, all things. And here's another quote uh, from the founder of Buddhism, which says, doubt everything, find your own light. And really, if we look at that advice, we would even have to doubt what what they just said, which would contradict what they said. And, and instead of taking the advice of skeptics and false teachers, we will want to see what the Bible has to say. And the very first expression of doubt in the Bible is in Genesis 3, when Satan tempted Eve. And starting at verse 1, it reads, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. Verse 5, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. See, God gave clear command regarding the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the consequences of disobedience. Satan introduced doubt into Eve's mind when he asked, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He wanted her to lack confidence in God's command because when she affirmed God's command, including the consequences, Satan replied with the denial, which is a stronger statement of doubt. You will not surely die. Right. And we even see that doubt is a tool of the enemy that makes us lack confidence in God's words and consider his judgment unlikely, which leads to our denial of his word. And, 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 and I want to point this out, that the moment in the garden doesn't mean that Satan gets all the culpability when it comes to doubt, because the Bible holds us accountable as well. And in Luke one, when Zechariah was visited by the angel of the Lord, and told that he would have a son, he doubted the word given to him. He assumed that he and his wife were too old to have children, and in response to his doubt, the angel said that he would be mute until the day God's promise was fulfilled. Zechariah doubted God's ability to overcome natural obstacles. Many people today share that same doubt. Anytime we allow human reason to outweigh faith in God, doubt is the result. No matter how logical our reasons may seem, God has made the wisdom of the world foolish. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. And, and most of the time, God's wisdom looks foreign to us, and that's because it is. But his foreign plans are far wiser than ours. This is where faith comes in. It's trusting God even when his plan goes against our reasons or experience, right? And the remedy for our doubt is faith. And faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. God gave us the Bible as a testimony of his works. So we will have a reason to trust him in the present and hope in him for the future. Psalm 77, 11 says, I will surely 
remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. See, in order for us to have the faith in God, we must study to know what he said. Once we have an understanding of what God has done in the past, what he has promised us for the present, and then we can expect from him in the future, we're able to act on faith instead of doubt. And really, we touched on this a little bit, but again, it's going to be a, it's, it's a reminder, constant reminder. There are some primary ways that we can stop doubting God. And the first is reading our word, right? In order to stop doubting, trust must be built. Imagine how hard it is to trust a stranger or even an occasional somebody you barely know or barely see, right? Because when salvation occurs and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, it's just the beginning. We've said this before in an episode. It's the greatest moment, but it's the lowest level of relationship. And just we're just getting to know God. And the primary way we get to know him is reading his word. One thing that the Bible makes clear is that God is faithful, trustworthy, and good. And if we continue to fill our minds with proof of God's power and love through history, we're better able and equipped to overcome doubt. The Bible is unique because it is God breathed. And I know that's a new, maybe a new way to hear the Bible described to some of you. But what it means is that while the words on the page look normal to us, and we know that it was written by men, it is inspired by the Spirit of God. And his word even judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Bible It encourages us, it satisfies us, it sustains us and guides us through life better than anything else. It simultaneously reveals God to us, what he's like, what he loves, and what he hates. And the more a believer, the more we learn about the person of God, the more our faith increases, which allows our doubt to decrease. And and the second way Christians can stop doubting God is through prayer. And, And honestly, speaking from my own life, and I know this may be true in others, Prayer may be the most difficult discipline to develop in our in our walk with God, but it's also the most rewarding. Reading of scripture should prompt our prayer. Daniel 9, 2 to 3 says, um, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. In other words, Daniel knew that God was going to end Israel's captivity and the knowledge of the scriptures urged him to pray. And why did he pray for what he already knew would happen? Because Daniel knew that God uses the prayers of his people in the working out of his eternal purposes. And if God is allowing us such an important place in his plan for the world, we ought to be able to trust him to hear our prayers and answer them. And not only does God hear our prayers, but whatever we ask in accordance with accordance with his will shall come to pass. And in the words of Andrew Murray, it says, let no delay shake our faith of faith that holds good. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Every believer is believing prayer. Each believing prayer brings a step nearer to our final victory. Each believing prayer helps to ripen the fruit and brings us nearer to it. It fills up the measure of prayer and faith known to God alone. It conquers the hindrances 
in the unseen world. It hastens the end. And our prayer should be made daily in a quiet place, no distractions. I encourage you, keep a prayer journal. Write down the details of your prayer. Write your petitions and, and write when God answers. Because what you'll start to see is you'll have a record of how God supernaturally speaks into the lives of you. And, and through your answered prayers, you'll be able to see time and time again and have a reference, an account, a record of God moving in your life. And what an amazing tool that would be in helping you further overcome doubt. Because, see, God doesn't want us to doubt him. He wants us to be confident in his love, his watchfulness, his protections. Don't hesitate to call on him in prayer. He's promised to answer. He's promised to respond. And he's promised to walk with you, even in seasons of doubt. And, and before we close out this episode, I want to focus on another example of doubt in the Bible. And this example is found in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. And it's the story of Thomas after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And really, Thomas in this moment serves as an example to us all how doubt exists in the lives of the believer. And in this example, we get instruction and encouragement. Because see, after Jesus, after his crucifixion and resurrection, he appeared alive and glorified to his disciples to comfort them and proclaim to them the good news of his victory over death. And one of the original disciples named Thomas was not present for this moment. And after being told by the other disciples of Jesus' resurrection and personal visit, Thomas doubted. He wanted physical proof of the risen Lord in order to believe this good news. And Jesus, knowing how Thomas had this weakened faith in this moment, he accommodated him. And John, 24, John 20, 24 through 25 reads, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have, not, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. And I want to call out that it's important that G, to know this, that Jesus did not have to fulfill Thomas's request. There was no obligation or anything. Thomas had spent three years intimately acquainted with Jesus, witnessing all of his miracles and hearing the prophecies and the coming of his death and the resurrection. And all this, and then Thomas receives the testimony from the other 10 disciples about his return, and we would think that would be enough. And I want to call something out. We are looking at someone in Thomas who was right there with Jesus on earth when his ministry was alive and present and he still had doubt think about that doubt that he had he's he's lost someone he loved right and that's not too far from our own doubt when we face a massive loss or some kind of despair or heartbreak or sorrow and the beauty of all of that is that Christ sympathizes with us and although Thomas doubted the resurrection appearance, once he saw Christ, in verse 28, it says, My Lord and my God, Jesus commended him for his faith, although that faith was based on sight at that moment. 
As an extra piece of encouragement, I want to push one more verse to 29 where Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, he meant that he was ascended in the heavens. He would send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who would live within the believers. And from then on, the Holy Spirit would enable us to believe that which we do not see with our eyes. It's the same thought echoed by Peter who said of Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. First Peter 1, 8 and 9. And see, even with the Holy Spirit, even just as Thomas in those moments, there's still the reality, there's still the possibility that we'll experience doubt. But hear me, that moment of doubt does not affect our eternal standing with God because true saving faith always perseveres in the end, just as it did with Thomas, just as it did with Peter. When we can even look at his just monument, you know, huge a moment of weakness by denying Jesus three times in Matthew 26 because we know the reason that God can still hold us and uplift us and have grace is because he who began a good work in you will carry it out to uh, will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith Hebrews 12:2 Faith is the gift of God to his children, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And he will mature and perfect it until he returns. And as Christians, we fight a spiritual battle every day, which means we have to gear up for battle. We need to be armed with the word of God to help fight spiritual battles, which includes fighting doubt. And we arm ourselves with the full armor of God. And when we're armed, we stand ready and at an advantage to be ready for what's to come our way. This includes doubt. This includes worry. This includes fear. This includes any other red flag that we can think of in this walk. Because we combat these things, especially doubt and worry and all the red flags, we confront them with the word of God and through prayer. And what we ultimately find is the more you are prepared for battle, moments of doubt become less frequent because we take advantage of the good moments to feed our faith with the word of God. We raise a shield of faith and we do battle with the enemy of our souls. His flaming darts of doubt will not hit their target. And here's another advantage that we have that Thomas did not. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we have the written New Testament. And by the power of both the spirit and the word, we can overcome doubts and like Thomas be prepared to follow our Lord and Savior and give all for him, even our lives. And as we close out this episode, one thing is certain. You're going to leave this episode and you're going to have another moment at some point where it's going to cause you to question and ultimately doubt the future. You're going to doubt tomorrow. But like we said last week, there are many things we don't and won't know about tomorrow until the day arrives. But what we do know about doubt is that it can put us in a position where we question God, which affects our faith and belief. When we choose to doubt, 
we choose to accept a belief contrary to God. We begin to trust and place faith in something or someone that cannot measure up to God. The realest thing we can say in this walk is not that we never doubt or never have moments of unbelief, but like the man in Mark 9:24, the most authentic, true statement we could ever say to God is, I believe, but help my unbelief. Let's pray. Dear God, you are in everything. You are above everything. You know everything. You are orchestrating everything. All control is yours. All vision is yours. All power is yours. You move the handle on my life. Thank you that you want to take care of me. Thank you that you love me. You withhold no good thing from me. Thank you that I can trust you. Not with half my heart, but with my whole heart. Thank you that you know my way, even when it doesn't look like my way. Grant me greater faith to trust you. Stand closer to me so I can dwell in your love. Help my mind stay steadfast on the things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Give me the ability and, and willingness to move with you. I pray that we don't depart from you. I pray that we focus on you. And I pray that our doubt continues to decrease as we get more in your word and we get more connected with you in prayer. God, in all your ways, I am open and willing to what you want to do in me. I need you. And I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us again. We're going to complete this series tomorrow, uh, next week, as we shift our focus from the red flags to some concrete facts that solidify our certainty about tomorrow. Until then, keep seeking keys, insight, and perspective to everyday living through the lens of God. It will change your world and change your life. God bless.